I'm so thankful that God has given us His Word. There are some who call themselves Christians and even preachers and teachers of the Bible who downplay the importance of the written Word of God in our lives. And they substitute vague and nebulous experience and feelings as the most important part of our religious experience, if you want to call it that. But God inspired His Word, and God preserved His Word so that you and I could read His Word for ourselves and know exactly what God wants us to do. It's verifiable. I can go back over and over again to the Word of God, and I can make sure that I'm believing the truth. I can go back to the Word of God, and I can evaluate, are my thoughts, are my feelings correct? You cannot do that with someone else's experience or someone else's feelings. They're not verifiable. The Word of God is without error. We say that it is the infallible and inerrant Word of God. That means that it is without error and it is incapable of error. Why? Because it was given by a holy and a perfect God. 2 Timothy 3 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished, and all good works. How many of you believe in the sovereignty of God? God's in ultimate control of everything. I hope you do. Because if not, then the world you live in is a very chaotic place. Because nobody's in charge. At least in your mind, you're, you, you don't see that God's in working in everything. Well, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that God's in working in everything in every way. This this morning I was uh, reading in my personal Bible reading and an Old Testament portion in 2 Kings and, and I was just struck by reading in the Old Testament uh, how much death there was. In this particular story there was a, a, a new king that came to power, Jehu by, by name, and, and uh, he was commissioned by God to execute judgment on previous um, dynasties, if you will, and, uh, and there was a lot of death involved. And I was just reading that story and thinking to myself, I am so glad that I live after the cross, after Jesus Christ conquered death. Death is now a, uh, a, a, a foe that has been conquered. I'm so thankful for that. But you know, those stories in the Old Testament were given to us for our learning. And so today I want you to turn with me to a, another story in the Old Testament in, in uh, the book of uh, 2 Kings, 1 Kings rather, 1 Kings chapter 13. 1 Kings chapter 13. In Washington, D.C., there's a monument that's known as the Tomb of the Unknowns or the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. How many of you have ever been to Washington, D.C.? And how many of you have been to that memorial? Quite a, quite a few of you. It's a very sobering place. 
As you see the, uh, the monument there that is dedicated to soldiers that have died, maybe they were never recovered from the battlefield or maybe they're, um, you know, just the, in general the unknown. And on that monument there is this description, Here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. I'm so thankful that all across our country we still have reminders that we are a nation founded on the truth of the Word of God, even though we've come so far away from it, as uh, Lord willing we'll talk about tonight as we look at Judges and also Romans chapter 1. Known but to God. Well, in First, Cur- First Kings rather, chapter 13, we have a story about a prophet whose name is known only to God. We are not given his name, his title. We're given very little information about him. And the first part of his story seems pretty awesome. Seems like he's got some things figured out. Seems like the kind of guy that we would want to learn more about and follow his example. However, he made a very tragic and ultimately fatal mistake. His mistake was he turned away from God's word. He knew what God said. There was no doubt in his mind, but he allowed himself to be deceived by someone else into believing something different than what God said. And he made a choice then based on that deception and his choice to believe a lie. He made further choices that resulted in an untimely death, we would say. And if we had to put an inscription over his tomb, it would have to read... Here rests in inglorious dishonor a prophet known only to God. And because this unnamed prophet made this tragic mistake that cost him not just his reputation and his ministry, it cost him his life. And this story teaches us that no matter who we are, no matter where we are in life, no matter what we are told by no matter who tells it to us, we must obey God's word. Not our feelings, not the current fads of the day, not the whims of our flesh. We must obey God's word. Because if we disobey God's word, the result will be tragedy. Look with me in 1 Kings chapter 13, verse number 1. And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel and Jeroboam, stood by the altar to burn incense. So here we are introduced to this unnamed prophet. He comes out of Judah and he comes to Bethel. So he's coming from the southern kingdom into the northern kingdom and he stood by the altar where Jeroboam is there burning incense. And it says in verse 2, he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord. Now, I'm going to kind of comment on this as we go along through these sections. But did you notice this is now the second time where the word of the Lord is used in in just the short period that we've read already? He came by the word of the Lord and he cried by the word of the Lord. Now notice what he said. Verse number 2, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. 
And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass, when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which he had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, and saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up, so that he could not pull it in again to him. The altar also was rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given, notice it again, by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored me again. And the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored him again, and became as it was before. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. Father, help us as we look at your word today. Teach us what we need to know. Show us what we need to change. That we might be more like Christ and that by obeying the written word, we would be transformed into the image of the living word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to notice, first of all, from these verses the of this unknown prophet, his magnificent ministry that he had at the beginning. It's curious to me that we are never given this prophet's name. The only thing we know about him is where he came from. He came from Judah. But even though we don't know his name, it was very obvious that he was a man that God was using. And if we want to use this expression, he had the power of God upon his life. First of all, we can see that he's walking in obedience to God's Word. Three times that reference was given in these verses that he did what he did and he said what he said by the word of God. And as we see this story unfold, he comes and he gives this prophecy and with it an accompanying sign and immediately it comes to pass. We know that he was a genuine prophet because God had given provision in the Old Testament that, if a fa- that you would know they were false prophets if their prophecies didn't come to pass. Well, this man's prophecy immediately came to pass. And then later we could look in Scripture how the prophecy about Josiah would later come to pass some generations after this. So as, as we begin this story, you need to understand that this man was genuinely a man of God walking in obedience and being used by God in a very mighty way, even though we don't know his name. And I think that's an important point. I think God wants us to dwell on that for a moment because a lot of us think in order to do something really big for God, we have to make a big name for ourselves. You know, our world today is overrun with those who call themselves influencers, social media influencers. Seems like everybody wants to be an influencer. They want to they have a large following so that they could, they could uh, influence people to do things so they can make money off of it. And people give a lot of time and energy, truly devote their whole lives to making a name for themselves so that they can be considered an influencer. Uh, listen, you got to understand that the, the, that the mindset behind that is based in pride and arrogance. That in order for me to be successful, I have to make a big name for myself. Now, there are some prophets that have a big name. How many of you ever heard of Elijah? Elisha? Okay. What about Jonah? Know him? All right, we could go through a list. There's a lot of prophets we know. Was it sinful for them to become famous? No, I'm not, not at all saying that. But see, God gave them the name recognition He wanted them to have. And others he didn't. 
And that didn't make any difference when it came to their true success. Because true success is not connected to being famous. True success is doing God's will for your life, whatever that is for you. And this man did that without any name recognition whatsoever. We have this tendency, though, to be drawn to personalities instead of being drawn to truth. I heard somebody say, and if I said the name of this uh, famous person, you would, you would know him probably, uh, but I, I heard him talking about his business and everything, and he made the statement, um, something to the effect of truth is only communicated through personality. And I thought to myself, that doesn't sound right. And I don't believe it is right. And, and what he was meaning is why, why that his organization worked hard to bring in dynamic personalities to push their information and their, their, their views and different things like that. What he, was, what he was saying is the reason we get these dynamic spe- uh, speakers, these people that have nice sounding voices, these nice looking people who can put together nice sentences and we put them up there for everybody to see is because truth is communicated through the personality. I want to tell you that God is not limited to personality. We have no idea what this man's personality was like. Just in reading it, there were uh, in the story we would say, well, he must have been a pretty bold guy, but we don't know if he was articulate. We don't know what he looked like. He could have had shaggy hair and warts for all we know. God's not limited by personality. And so we need to be very careful that we don't allow ourselves to be influenced by somebody else simply because of their personality. That's what I'm trying to say to you this morning. But a lot of people have a lot of influence in Christianity simply because of their personality. Some people will listen to a certain preacher just because they like his accent. It's true. There's a preacher I listen to. I like his accent. He's got a Scottish accent. I like most of what he has to say, not everything. But I just, I kind of like hearing how he talks. And some people, I know it sounds silly, but they will allow themselves to be influenced by another simply because of something as artificial as that. Or they like the way that they look. Or they like the, um, their ability to you know, weave stories and different things like that. And all of these superficial things that we are, tend to be drawn to with other people, and in so doing, we're allowing ourselves to be influenced by somebody, not necessarily because of the truth they are giving, but because we like their personality. Now, I want to give you a word of caution this morning, especially in our age today with the Uh, just the pervasiveness of social media influencing people watching videos on YouTube and on Facebook or Twitter, whatever social media platform you're on, or even reading some of the the books that are published today, Christian books. People tend to be drawn to certain people just because they're famous or they like their personality. But just because somebody's famous and just because they have a pleasing personality doesn't mean that they're teaching the truth. On the other side, just because you've never heard of someone and just because their personality may not click with you doesn't mean that you should ignore them. They might have something very good to say because they're teaching the truth of the Word of God. That was this guy. He had something to say because it was by the Word of the Lord. And that is what really matters. Now let's look at verses 7 through 10. 
And the king said unto the man, Come home with me and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. And the man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was charged me by the, what's that next phrase? Word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. So there was this incident where this unnamed prophet cries against the altar. The king stretches forth his hand and says, Arrest him, you know, seize him. And uh, his hand withered with leprosy. And then he, the, the man of God prayed for him, his hand was healed, the altar was rent, the ashes spilled out, all of the signs were fulfilled, and the king recognized that this man was a man of God. And so the king kind of just did a whole 180 now. Before he was going to arrest him, now he's going to invite him home. King said, come home with me and refresh thyself, and I'll give thee a reward. Notice what he was tempted with. First of all, he tempted this unnamed prophet with recognition. He said, come home with me. Well, to be able to go to the king's house would have been a big deal. Not just everybody gets invited to the king's palace, you know. That's reserved for special people. That's reserved for significant people. And to be seen with the king, that was quite an honor. So he was tempted with recognition. Then he was tempted, number two, with rest. He said, and refresh thyself. Refresh thyself. He would have been been given the best food in the land to eat, the best to drink. He would have given the most luxurious accommodations. I mean, this would have been the, the equivalent of a five-star hotel in our days. He tempted him with rest. And then he tempted in number three with reward. He said in verse number seven, I will give thee a reward. I don't know about you, but uh, that sounds pretty nice to me. To be able to maybe go home with a little bit more change in your pocket than you came with. And I'm sure he's thinking, uh, you know what, there are probably some good things I could do with that. Maybe he had a wife and children that he could uh, do something nice for them, help pay the bills even, or just, just have a little bit more in the nest egg, whatever it is. The king is offering this man some good things that any of us would like to have. But notice what his response was. He said, if you will give me half thine house, I will not go with thee. And here's why. Because I was charged me by the word of the Lord. I will not go with you because God told me to do something different. God said to come here, deliver my message, go back a different way than I came and don't eat or drink with anybody or stop and rest even. I have a mission. God has given it to me very clearly. I know exactly what God wants me to do and it's not what you're suggesting, O king. I call this number two his continued commitment. His continued commitment. And when you look at what he was offered with, there's not a one of us who would not desire any or all of these three things. We want to be recognized for the work that we do. We would rather live a life of rest than a life of exhaustion. We would rather be well compensated for our labor than, than to just be merely scraping by. But to be motivated by any one of those things is absolutely wrong. Our motivation for all that we do should be one thing and one thing alone, and that is to obey God. Our entire life should be centered around that one idea. I want to do what God wants me to do. Obedience to God is my only goal. 
Everything else just is peripheral to that. I want to do what God wants me to do. And if in that time God blesses someone with some recognition or times of rest or rewards them maybe more than some others get it, that's all fine. But it's not the recognition, the rest, or the reward that we should be after. It is righteousness, which is obedience to God. And this man said it right in these verses. His continued commitment to the Word of God. He did not give in to the temptation to disobey God's Word, to satisfy desires of his flesh. He stood firm on the Word of God. And listen, that is where our commitment must always be. More and more we are going to be seeing a push to leave the truth of the Word of God to go along with the philosophy of the world that, we're, that we live in. Especially in the public sphere. They're fine if you believe whatever you want to believe in the privacy of your own home. Just don't bring that out into culture, right? More and more we are seeing that. Where Christians and churches are expected to bow to the will of the word, world rather than standing true on the word of God. All right, you want to believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. That's fine enough for you, but don't you dare try to influence society with that, you bigot. All right, you, you believe that it's best for children to be born into a home where the mother and the father are married to one another. That's fine if you want to believe that, but don't try to push that on the world. That's intolerant. You believe that, you know, in order to have the right kind of life, you have to believe in Jesus, that's fine, but don't go around telling other people that because you're scaring them. That's a form of terrorism. That's hate speech. Who would have thought just a few years ago that in places like Canada, preaching against homosexuality is, can literally land a preacher in jail under the hate speech laws? And all that is is pressure from the world to try and move us off of our commitment to the Word of God. And even in Christian circles, we are being told that we could have more influence if we just wouldn't be so dogmatic on some things, you know? Can't we just agree to disagree? Can't we just all get along? Now, there are some things that are not core doctrines that we can have varying opinions on, and that's okay, all right? You may believe that Adam and Eve had belly buttons. That's fine. I don't, I don't have an opinion one way or the other. There's some things that we could agree to disagree on, but there are some core doctrines that are clearly stated in Scripture that we must not, we cannot compromise on. We're going to be tempted to give in to not stand firm on the Word of God, but we must remain committed to God's Word. Can I remind you this morning about the importance of the Word of God? The Word of God is important because it alone is the truth that will sanctify us. John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. In a day of relativism where everybody is asking like Pilate did, what is truth? God answers loud and clear, thy word is truth. We are absolutists. 
We believe that God has declared and decreed what truth is and He has revealed it to us in His Word. And it alone has the power to sanctify us. It alone has the power to transform our lives. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God, the Bible is alone the living sword that Hebrews says is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Did you know that the Bible can even tell you what you're thinking and why you're thinking it? You know, the more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. Isn't that funny? I know many of you in here have have lived long enough to uh, identify with what I'm saying here. That when you're young, you got a lot of things figured out. And you get a little older, you realize you didn't even know what the questions were. And it's amazing, as I learn more and more about God and his, through His Word, how much I'm learning more and more about myself that I never knew. Things are starting to make sense now. There's things that I've done in the past, or ways that I've acted, or thoughts and attitudes that I've had. And, and I wonder, why did I do that? Why did I think that? And as I'm learning more about myself through the Word of God, I'm like, oh, that's why. And what it boils down to is I'm a filthy, rotten sinner. <laughs> And I'm beginning, to, I'm beginning to learn more about myself because that's what the Bible does. It discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible is important because it alone is the breath of God that gives us all we need to be saved and to become like Christ. Paul said to Timothy that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. What I'm saying to you this morning we need it, is we need a continued commitment to the Word of God. Now there are a lot of helpful books out there, Bible studies, commentaries, the writings of men and women that can be helpful, but they are only helpful inasmuch as they accurately teach the truth of God's Word and as they consistently point us back to Scripture. Any Bible teacher or preacher who would say to you, just take my word for it, is off base. Even the Apostle Paul didn't do that. He said of the believers in Berea that they were more noble in Thessalonica. Why? Because they searched the Scriptures daily whether or not those things were true. Who were they listening to? They were listening to Paul and other men who were giants of the faith, we would call them. And they said, that sounds good. We're going to fact check it, though. You know, we live in the day of fact checkers. What's a fact checker? What's well, a political operative who works for a social media company to tell conservatives what, the, what they're thinking is wrong? Okay, that's what a fact checker is. But they, fact checkers, okay, they said something, we need to verify this. Every one of us should be spiritual fact checkers. Every one of us should evaluate everything we hear in the light of God's Word. That sounds good. I like what this person said. I like how they said it. It sounds appealing to me, but before I go down that road, I'm going to get into the Word of God and find out for sure if it's true. This unnamed prophet was tempted to go against the Word of God and he said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do what God said 
and if you were to give me half of this entire kingdom's wealth, I'm not going to violate the word of God. And I say, good for him. And I wish I could stop the story at this point. I wish I could say he ended well, but he didn't. He refused the king's invitation. He remained faithful to the word of God. He did not give in to the temptation that came. So the devil tried again. Look with me at verse 11, 1 Kings 13, 11. Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel. If we had a soundtrack at this point, we'd hear, dum, dum, dum. Because the story's about to take a turn. And his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel, the words which he had spoken unto the king. Then they told also to their father, and the father said unto them, which, What way went he? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. And he said unto his sons, Saddle me the ass. So they saddled him the ass, and he rode thereon, and he went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that camest from Judah? And he said, I am. Then said he unto him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. And he said unto him, I am a prophet also as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. So he went back with him and did eat bread in the house and drank water. And it came to pass as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of the God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, For as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back, and hast eaten bread, and drunk water in the place, of the which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread, and drink no water, thy carcass shall not come under the sepulcher of thy fathers. We would expect a wicked king to tempt the prophet to do wrong. We would not expect a seasoned prophet to tempt the man of God to do wrong. But that's exactly what happened in this story. This old prophet living there in Bethel hears, first of all, you know me, and as I, as I look at Bible stories, I ask a lot of questions about things that aren't said. And so one of the questions I ask myself is, why did God have to import another prophet into Bethel when there was already one there? I don't know. I don't really know. I can't say, but it could be, could it be an indication that this older prophet had already gone off in a bad direction? We know from his story that he was willing to lie but this older prophet is, is there. His sons come back and they tell him about uh, all, that they, uh, all that they saw this uh, unnamed prophet do. And so he said, well, which way did he go? And they said, we went that way. He said, all right, get my donkey. We're going to go after him. I want to meet this guy. I want to have him over to the house. And I want to get to know him a little bit. So they go and they find him. And they find the unnamed prophet. And the Bible says he was sitting under an oak. Now, I don't want to read too much into that. But I just have to wonder to myself if he would have avoided this whole situation, if he'd have kept walking. 
instead of just sitting under an oak. They find him sitting under the oak there, and he invites him back to his house. And notice the prophet repeats the command again, all right? There is no doubt in the unnamed prophet's mind what God's word to him was. He knew exactly what God said. You go there, you give the message, you come back. You don't eat or drink while you're there. You don't come back the same way, you go a different way. It was very clear to him. So he relays this to the old, older prophet. And notice what the older prophet says, verse 18. I am a prophet also as thou art. I'm a prophet too. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord. Now right there, there should have been alarm bells going off in the head of the unnamed prophet. Right then and there, there should have been red flags. I mean, this would have been roadside flares, reflectors, sirens, everything. Because what this man is saying is that God is contradicting himself. He says an angel came to him, which it wasn't uncommon in Old Testament times for that to happen. But when, when, when he proceeds to contradict the revealed word of God, the unnamed prophet should have known right away something is not right here. I'm reminded of what Paul said in Galatians, though we or an angel from heaven should preach any other gospel to you, let him be accursed. Somebody shows up and says, I've got a message from the Lord for you. You better ask them chapter and verse. I remember sometime years ago, I was uh, serving in a church. I was not on staff. Uh, we were just attending at the time. And one day out of the blue, I get a call from a fellow in the church uh, who worked in the media ministry. And he said to me, um, he said, hey, I was just driving down the road and God told me to call you and tell you, you, you need to work in the media ministry. And this is what I said to him. It didn't make him very happy. But this is what I said to him. I said, funny, why didn't God just tell me? He kind of, a little bit. But I, I, I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to be arrogant. But listen, God speaks to me the same way he speaks to you, and that is through his word. The only time that I can come to you and I can say definitively that God says to you is if I am sharing with you what the Bible says. I cannot come to you and say, God has told me you need to buy a new car. I can't do that. I can't come to you and say, God has told me that you shouldn't take that job. I can't do that. I can't come to you and say, God has told me that you need to be a missionary. I can't do that. No one can. Why? Because of the sufficiency of Scripture. God is not dependent on me to communicate His Word to anyone else except as I open up the Bible and I preach it and teach it. When it comes to God's specific will to, for your life or anybody's life, that is between you and God. I'm reminded of Peter in John chapter 21. You remember the story Jesus said, Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Now, there was two different words for love there. And there was this back and forth, and Jesus said, Do you love me with a godlike kind of love? And Peter said, Well, I love you with a brotherly love. And, and finally, they resolved that, and Jesus says to Peter, Here's what's going to happen to you. 
you've been young and you're going to be old and you've gone where you wanted to go, but people are going to carry you where you don't want to go. And there was a, there was a little window given to Peter into his future. And what did Peter do? He turned to John and he said, well, what shall this man do? And I love what Jesus said to him. He said, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. And it kind of started a rumor. Everybody thought, well, John's going to live forever. Live till Jesus comes. That's not what Jesus meant. What Jesus meant was to say to Peter, it's none of your business what my will for John is. I will tell John what my will for him is. I'm telling you what your, my will for you is. You follow me and leave me and John out of it. And this older prophet abused his position of influence and lied to this unknown prophet. But he lied unto him, the end of verse 18. It wasn't a mistake. He didn't get his wires crossed. This wasn't just an honest miscommunication. It was an outright lie. They go back to the house and they're sitting there eating and now the word of the Lord truly comes to the older prophet. I, I just can't help but be overcome by the irony of this. They're sitting there eating and the older prophet gets an actual revelation from God and he says to him, for as much, verse 21, as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, skip down to verse 22, thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulchre of thy father's. Now he gets a true word of the Lord because it's based on the revealed will of God and the revealed word of God. And he says, you're not going to make it back to be buried with your family. This man had all the credentials. He had the world's best resume. I am a prophet of God too. An angel told me let me tell you, no resume guarantees truth. You say, well, this person has a doctorate degree. Okay? And maybe they worked really hard and got it honestly, or maybe they paid 20 bucks and bought it online. I don't know. But it doesn't make any difference. Because no resume guarantees that everything that comes out of a person's mouth is truth. There's no guarantee that anything in any other person says is truth. The only guarantee for truth we have is in the Word of God. Say, well, but this guy said this, and I heard this person on YouTube say this, and I read this in this book. That's fine. How does it line up with the Word of God? You have to get into the Bible regularly, study it, and know for yourself what does God say in order to know what the truth is. I'm sure many of you or all of you have heard the example about how they train people to uh, identify counterfeit money. They don't sit people down with a, uh, uh, a stack of a hundred different kinds of counterfeits and say, all right, study all these counterfeits so you'll know when you find one. You know what they do? They sit, sit, sit them down with a stack of real money and say, start counting it. And they become so familiar with the feel of real money that as soon as they touch a counterfeit, they know something's different. Just a few weeks ago, Lydia's not here. She's under the weather, so she's at home. But Lydia was at work, um, and uh, she was a customer was paying something, handed her a few 20s, and immediately she knew something was off in one of those 20s. 
And so she handed them to the, her, her boss who was there um, as kind of a, not, a kind of a subtle way of trying to handle this situation. And the boss didn't understand what was going on, and her boss just finished the transaction. And later asked Lydia about it, and she said, well, the guy gave me a 20 that I didn't think was right. And, you know, previous place I worked, this is how we handled it and everything. And the, and the, and the, the boss was kind of like, okay, well, you know, I'm sure it was fine. Well, later she gets a phone call. Hey, do you remember the customer who gave you that 20 the other day? Because we took our 20s to the bank, and yeah, one of them was a counterfeit. Now, Lydia is a very smart young lady. But to my knowledge, she's never sat down and taken a course on all of the different kinds of counterfeits that are out there. (laughs) But she is so familiar handling cash across the counter that when she felt something different, she knew, ah, something's up here. Listen, folks, we have to be so familiar with the truth of God's word that when something else comes up, we know immediately the Holy Spirit can say to us, that's not right. That doesn't line up with the truth of the word of God. My time is up and we notice, this was point number three, by the way, his gullible gaffe. And I want you to notice with me as this un known prophet, chose to go against the word of God and allowed himself to be deceived. He ended with a dishonorable death. Verse 23, it came to pass after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he saddled for him and asked to wit for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, the lion met him by the way and slew him. And his carcass was cast in the way. And the ass stood by it and the lion also stood by the carcass. The judgment of God on this prophet for disobeying God's word came very swiftly. And how he died was no accident. It's very clear in Scripture. All right, he's, he's riding a donkey back. A lion comes out and kills him. The lion does not eat him. And the lion doesn't attack the donkey. Instead, his body is laying there by the roadside with the donkey on one side and a lion on the other. What a sad ending to a life that could have otherwise been an incredible story. We can only speculate of what else he could have gone on to do. We can only speculate about how many more prophecies he could have told, how many more miracles he could have performed. We can only speculate that maybe he could have been on par with an Elijah and Elisha. We don't know. But what we do know is none of that was even possible because he chose to go against the clearly revealed Word of God. Now, I'm not going to say to you that if you violate the truth of God's word, that some mountain lion is going to come out and attack you instantly. Rarely happens that way, thankfully. But what I am saying to you is that the pattern, the principle, and the precept of Scripture is this. When we disobey God's word, tragedy is the result. You can look at the story of Moses. He smote the rock on the second occasion instead of speaking to it. And as a result, he did not go into the promised land. You can look at the story of Achan, who God said, don't take any of the stuff from Jericho. He took, he stole what was rightfully supposed to be dedicated to the Lord alone. And as a result, tragedy. He and his family died. And so many others in the nation of Israel were affected. We can look at the story of Uzzah. You remember that guy? He was one of the ones helping them bring the ark out. 
And as they were bringing the ark back, it, it wobbled on the cart. And so he reached out to stabilize it, to keep it from falling. We say, well, that was a noble thing. Well, just one big problem. God said that he was not authorized to touch it. And God struck Uzzah dead because he went outside the truth of the word of God. We could look at the story of David, who is known after the man after God's own heart. But we cannot talk about his story without acknowledging that one especially egregious occasion when he broke God's law, when he disobeyed God's word. And so when the, when the, uh, when the, the historian recorded his story, it said that he followed God perfectly, save in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. There will always be that asterisk on David's life because he disobeyed the word of God. We can look in the New Testament and see examples of others who disobeyed the Word of God and they suffered the tragic consequences. You do not want to stand before God and answer for why you believed what man said instead of truly believing and obeying what God's Word says. God does not take it lightly when we distort or we disobey the truth of His Word. And so this message this morning is both a warning and encouragement. It is a warning to anyone in here today who may be allowing themselves to be influenced by people in their writings or their videos or whatever form. Allowing yourself to be influenced by them, but it's not in a biblical direction. You're allowing yourself to be sucked into false teaching. It's a warning that you need to reevaluate everything in the light of God's Word. Well, said, but I, I believed this all my life. Okay? That doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Say, but this person is so educated and so smart and so eloquent. Okay? That doesn't mean that what they're saying is necessarily true. You say, but I... I they have the best lighting in their videos. Doesn't mean what they're saying is true. So this message is a warning. We must not allow ourselves to be influenced contrary to the Word of God. But I also want this message to be an encouragement. Because I know that there are many in here who for many years you've made it a habit in your life to evaluate everything in the light of the Word of God. And I want to say to you, keep it up. Don't stop now. Because this man in this story started really, really well. He did what God said. He was tempted to compromise and he stood firm. He was continually committed to the Word of God until someone with enough influence came along. And he was deceived. So I want to encourage you this morning, keep it up. Don't take your foot off the gas, as it were. Stay committed to the Word of God. Finish well. Be committed to God and God's Word. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow before you, I thank you that you have given us in the Bible everything that we need to live how you want us to live, to be what you want us to be. And that, Lord, we don't need any extra, special, extra-biblical revelation from you. 
as some would teach that in order for us to be truly successful and reach the, the highest heights of spirituality, that we have to have some special revelation from you outside of the scriptures. We don't need that, Lord, because your word is truly perfect. It's whole and it's complete and everything to make us truly furnished into all good works is contained in the pages of Scripture. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word. And Lord, I pray that we would hide its truth in our hearts, that we would not sin against you. And I pray this in Jesus' name.